Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Joe Kasherba. Joe, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Joe is an entrepreneur and the CEO and founder of Kasherba Web Design Group. Uh, Joe grew the freelance web design business that he started back in high school into a digital agency with a virtual team and clients around the world. He went from building $300 websites to building $30,000 websites and managing six-figure digital advertising budgets for some of the largest manufacturing and construction companies. Joe now advises and mentors other freelance web designers and digital agency owners on how to develop and scale their business. And that's one of the things we're going to focus on today in our conversation with Joe is how he scaled his business from a very small shop to a large organization, something that we're all faced with as a challenge as small business owners. Joe lives in the Pittsburgh area. And so once again, in this episode, he's going to share with us his entrepreneurial journey, how he got to where he is today. And we'll do a deep dive on scaling a small business so once again, Joe Kasherba, welcome to the show. Yeah, absolutely, Henry. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to the interview. Absolutely. I think you and I, if I got my notes right, we're, we're connected by David Schreiner-Kahn. Uh, oh, been yeah. On his show, right. I think you have as well. Great guy and a great show that he has. Um, so that's how I came to know you. So I'm glad he connected us. So let's get into it. I'm always interested in the story as to how you people get to being an entrepreneur, you went to school at University of Pittsburgh, and if I got it right, you got a BS in information science and a minor in computer science. What were you thinking back then you were going to do for a living? Well, yeah, I was. I always had an entrepreneurial mindset. I mean, even even back to when I was, you know, in third grade, my teacher asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I told her that I wanted to own a cheese factory. <laughs> So why, I was why a cheese factory. Well, it, it, specifically, it was a fat, a, a good tasting, fat free cheese factory. Got it. Got it. So you know, I I always was was entrepreneurial, and then I started my business actually in in uh, high school when I was fifteen, and uh, so so the web design business, which was it was a freelance business at that time, was something that was on the on the side all through high school and college. Um, and then, in, and then during college, I had various other startups I was involved in. I had a startup that was that uh, I was pretty excited about towards the end of college, and my plan was to do that startup after college. Um, but right during sort of finals week and graduation, it became apparent that that startup wasn't going to work. Now, is that the Quicket idea, or was yep, that later? That, yeah, no, that's exactly right. It was it was called Quicket. It was a a website built like a build your own website um, web application, similar to Squarespace or Wix or something like that. So that was an early failure, right? You would have called that a failure, even looking back at it now. How how do you remember reacting to that emotionally, in particular? That's a good question. It was it was a definite. I mean, it was a definite failure from the standpoint that. Um, I was only charging nine dollars a month for the service, and I never got even one person to pay that. <laughs> rough. Um, yeah, it was it was rough. It was it was very rough. Um, it was very rough 
and emotionally because it coincided with with graduating college and all my friends that were in my computer science and information science classes were getting jobs at Amazon and Oracle and all these places and I had this big idea that this you know this startup company you know Quicket was going to be huge and we were going to have offices and I was already imagining like the 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 sort of carved out sign for the Quicket logo that was going to be on these big offices and everything. Yeah, um, you were going to be coming back to school to talk about the success and your yeah, friends yeah. would be envious and all that good stuff, right? Yeah, and so it was that, that was tough and it was a n- number of months of very I think what happened emotionally was it was it was you know, it failed and then I graduated and I moved back in with my parents. And so emotionally what was going on was I was sort of just scrambling around sort of in desperation, trying different things, changing prices, you know, randomly cold calling people to try to sell them this this service. Or It was just sort of a massive sort of desperation and not knowing what to do for, for a number of months. In those moments of desperation, though, did, did it cross your mind that maybe I should go into the corporate world? I, you know what, it really, honestly, it never did. Um, I was, I was, um, I mean, I, I remember being almost um, envious of, I was envious of friends that had jobs. I, I knew someone who had a sort of a minimum wage, sort of clerical, secretarial sort of job. And I was just imagining that just so much money was coming into him every month because he had this consistent income from this minimum wage job. So I remember being sort of envious of that, but it never I never thought about getting a job. I think I knew from early on that I was sort of one of those unemployable entrepreneurial types. Where did that come from, Joe? Because this this whole topic fascinates me because – what you were experiencing there is what for a lot of us creates such a, a barrier for us. We're indoctrinated, we're trained, our education prepares us for this job. And then right in the middle of this, you have this failure, seeing other people go on to quote unquote success. How that didn't derail you is 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 tremendous. But where did that come from in you that you just knew you had to be your own boss? I if I hmm. If you look at it from like Myers-Briggs personality type kind of thing, I think it's because I'm very N-intuitive. And it's always just sort of been the way I was that I always thought I could do anything and that I didn't sort of, um, I don't know, lend any credence to sort of the societal societal norms. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it Um, does. Did I mean, you, I, were those influences at home as well? I have to believe. Did your parents? How did they react during that period of time? Were they influencing to go get a job? You know, they I, I, they were they were very supportive, and I I, I definitely appreciate that. Um, my dad has, you know, both my parents have had businesses at different times, and and I grew up in a in an environment where the people were starting businesses and had some had an entrepreneurial mindset. So I think that helped a lot and they were definitely very supportive uh, the whole time. So, so I was very lucky to have that. Yeah. That definitely has to have been part of it. It's, it's fantastic. 
it's it's hard because and so going back to the failure we know now we read about we understand everybody tells us that we learn from our failures but when you're when you're going through it it's hard to learn at that point in time um how did or what did you take away from it do you think you learned a lot from that failure was it was it in part what then led you to do the next venture more successfully do you believe absolutely and and that's you know that quicket example is one of many, many similar failures. Um, and But yeah, I've, I feel like each one of those I learned so much from. Um, and you're right, it took a while to figure out what those lessons were. Um, to, you know, it took a, a while to be able to go back and look and see what I did wrong and what I would do differently if I was doing that business again. Yeah. Um, and a couple of things that I learned was one i you know one of the biggest things was i built i built the product for me and not for the the customer you know i i thought of what would m- me as a web designer want in a website builder not what would be easy for a restaurant owner or a lawyer or a doctor to actually go in and do their own website yeah and that was a and big lesson big lesson yeah big lesson all right, so Kasherba Web Design, that was that the name initially of the business that, that you still have now? It actually started as Kasherba Multimedia okay. um, because it started as a video production business, sort of. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, I had a group of friends who had a band in high school. I filmed their them playing at this restaurant and sold videotapes of them playing to their parents. And that turned into this idea of, let me do this video production business and try to get more video sort of videography work. Mm-hmm. And I learned how to do websites in order to build a website for that business. And nobody ever wanted video production services or videography services, but people started coming, coming to me wanting help with, a, with websites. And that's how it sort of morphed into a web design business. Very interesting. And then that's what you've grown into the business that you have now, obviously, and now have pivoted yet again to helping people do the same thing from a freelance perspective. That's part of what you do now, correct? Yeah, exactly. Have you know about a year and a half ago to two years ago, having gotten to the point where project managers were in place and were moving moving web design projects forward and having freed up a lot of my time. I started this this new business where I'm working with uh, people who want to start web design businesses, people who are freelance web designers, people maybe have a small agency, working with them to help them grow their businesses. I'm doing some one-on-one consulting. We have some information products and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And so let's get started then. And what allowed you to do that to an extent is you scaled your business to a point where you're leveraging other people uh, working in teams, and now you have the ability to do other things. But going back to when you first started scaling the business that you started, I want to talk about some of those key takeaways. In particular, I heard you in another interview talking about if we go back to the, the previous venture, Quicket, if I got it right, one of the things also you thought went wrong there is you were trying to be too many things to too many people, right? You were taking on too many subsectors or niches. And so I've been told many times that focus is a key part of it. And I try to pass that guidance on to my small business clients. How important was it to focus on something and start there to get started and then scale from there? Am I making sense in how I'm asking that question? 
Yeah, absolutely. And and you're right. That was one of the big the big takeaways from Quicket also that I had I had a version of it for restaurants, I had a version of it for lawyers, I had a version of it for photographers, I had like eight different versions of it. And you know, really any one of those industries, if I would have focused and made a product that was really great for restaurant owners or really great for lawyers, that would have been better than a bunch of products that weren't good for any of them. Was the appeal back then that, well, well if I make it that much broader, I can sell that many more uh, clients? Is, was that the attraction, you think? Yeah, I think, and this is what I see so often with, with, with small business owners is – and here's what it comes down to. Most business owners or people starting businesses, they don't know how to actually go out and get customers or go out and get clients. And so they add on services or add on products in an, in an attempt to get more clients, thinking, well, you know, if I get a referral every once in a while for this service – well, if I have two services, now I'll get a referral every once in a while for each of those services. And they sort of go wide in an attempt to scoop up more referrals. Yeah. That's what I think yeah. happens. Yeah, there's there's a big takeaway there, Joe. I want to explore that. So instead of trying to cast that broader net, let me add more features to attract different people. It's about what you found to be part of your success. Go after that that niche, that target market that you have a fit for and you have value for and go find those people. Yeah, exactly. Find, yeah, yeah. It's, it's find, find who you can actually help the most and who's a perfect fit for your services and focus everything on making your service or your product as ideal for those particular people as you can. Mm -hmm. And then, and then focus on it and actually go out and do marketing to get those people rather than, sort of hoping they hoping they're going to come. Right, right. If I keep if I keep adding features and functions and and uh, expanding into different markets, so uh, enough people will come my way and that's that's usually does not work. Um, the other thing you were challenged with of course initially was going from a more solopreneur a one-man operation to building out a team. What what were you what were some of the early challenges that you recall with making that transition? I know for me, you know, part of the the struggle with that early on was knowing to when to let go of things, delegating, actually feeling comfortable that somebody else can actually probably do that task better than I can. Do you recall having some of those challenges when you were growing from a one-man shop to bringing on people? Oh, man. Yeah, I had all kinds of challenges. Um, I think... You know, I'm, you know, having been very entrepreneurial and very, I can do anything sort of focused, you know, having that kind of mindset when I was growing up, I was always the person in, in school and college that did all the group projects myself and didn't want help from anybody else and thought I could do it better than anybody else. And that worked well. I got good grades, but that's not the that becomes a challenge when you have to start bringing in people and, and growing your business. It just doesn't scale. At some point it just doesn't scale, right? Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, that's exactly right. It doesn't scale. And I remember, I remember exactly when I remember being in the car when I realized that I was, I was, was driving home from somewhere and it was, it was the first month that I'd ever done $10,000 in a month um, in my, in my freelance business. And I remember 
like exhausted. I'm driving home and I just realized this is amazing. I hit $10,000 in a month, but I can't do this every month. I had worked too many hours. It just wasn't sustainable. And I had to do something different. And what did you do different? Well, I, I, I was sort of in that position of, do I get an office and start building a, a team in person and hiring people or what do I do? And I decided that, that I thought that that was a direction that wouldn't result in very much profit margin and wasn't the, wasn't where I wanted to go. So I decided to build the team virtually. And the, the first thing, and, and basically what I did, or there were many attempts that were unsuccessful and different things that didn't work. But what ended up working was taking the projects that I do, um, I think it even more narrow on what kind of projects I was willing to take versus not. But basically cutting those projects up into specific phases, um, you know, with the web design, the first phase was the design phase where we designed the site. The second phase, we converted that design, which was in, uh, you know, Photoshop, you know, as a graphic design into an HTML web page. And then there was a phase where we had dealt with all of the content and photos and we plugged that all in and we, we had all these different phases. And basically I went one by one choosing a phase and then finding a contractor or a company that could handle that phase and they became part of the sort of assembly line process. And then I'd go to the next phase and I sort of went phase by phase replacing uh, different phases. Yeah, I love that approach. I take a similar approach, but you, you explained it so well because what that allowed you to do, I have to believe as well, is you identified where where you can continue to add the most value and where somebody else, again, as I said at the outset, might even do it better, faster, cheaper, and the overall product is just as good or better, right? And, and it, so it takes that discipline of breaking it down into its parts so that you can see what parts you can start to delegate, correct? Yeah, that you, a couple of good points there you made. I I was able to find people who were better than me in a lot of these pieces. You know, I found graphic designers that were absolutely world-class graphic designers compared to me. I was decent, but I wasn't world-class at that piece. And um and sort of part of the the mindset shift or the paradigm shift that people need to have is especially when somebody start starting when somebody is a solopreneur as a freelancer the way they tend to think is, how can I duplicate myself? I need, a, I need a clone of myself. But that's not really what you want. I didn't want another person who could do everything decently well. I needed someone who was absolutely world-class at one, one thing, and they were going to take that over. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Not another cloner. So I think that's a, a fantastic example of why we get bogged down with that because – at the end of the day, we can't replace ourselves entirely, but we can complement ourselves to become more leveraged, to grow and bring in that expertise. And that's how we, how we grow a business. The, the other challenge that I've had, Joe, is, is looking at bringing in those resources, whether we're hiring someone or contracting or freelancing or whatever, is that we tend to get stuck with the cost of it as an expense, as opposed to an investment. How do you deal with that? When you, when you go to make that next hire or bring in another resource or spend money on another platform, how do you think through that now so that you don't get bogged down on when can I afford it? When can I not afford it? Do you understand what I'm asking there? 
Um, you mean you mean um, the fact that you're you're going to obviously lose profit margin and everything? Yeah, by because it. now because now I'm going to hire this other person to do that piece of it, like you explained. But they're expensive, right? And it's going to affect my bottom line on this particular project. But but it, we, we know it's the only way I'm going to be able to grow because now I can do more work. But how do I shift that mind shift of it's an expense to it's really an investment in growing your business? You follow what I'm saying? Oh yeah, yeah, I understand that because that is a that is a challenge. You go from you go from being all the money that comes in is yours to a portion of it being yours. Um, I, one thing I'll I'll say regarding sort of the last piece. Um, you know, people try to clone themselves and everything. The the other thing that people do that I think is really important to note, because I was talking about this sort of assembly line process. Um, the one of the mistakes people make is they they have more of an overflow process instead of an assembly line process. So you see this a lot with with freelancers and graphic design people and stuff like that, where their their mindset is, I'm going to do all the projects that I can handle. And then when I can't handle anymore, I'm going to send the overflow work to some contractors or something. And that's just not a good strategy long term because um, if if you only ever bring in contractors when there's overflow work, you never actually free up any of your time. And you tend then to not make a whole lot of profit and and on those overflow projects because you're just trying to get them off to somebody. You really want to have a process where every project, whether you have too much work or too little work, this phase is done by this person. Does that distinction make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. I can see it clearly because what I see with the latter is someone who makes no progress to gaining any independence of time for themselves. So they end up working like you were when you found yourself in the car that day making good money, but you don't have a moment to spare, right? Uh, and so that's not becoming an entrepreneur. That's just piling on more of the busy work that you may well get paid handsomely for, but that's not what it's about. The end game is to be able to free yourself up to enjoy the the benefits of that work that you've built, of that business that you've built. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's making progress towards that. And, and then you mentioned mindset. You know, how do you get comfortable with, you know, you're paying this person and you're, you're losing this profit margin. Um, I think that, I think one piece is that anytime you're, you're worried about the, the financial piece of it, that probably means that you're not doing enough marketing and not bringing in, in enough leads. Hmm. Um, because, because really that, you know, that, that time you're freeing up allows you to, do more sales, meet with more potential clients or customers and serve more people. Um, but if you don't have that, if you don't have those, those more people to serve, you're going to be more afraid of, of handing those pieces off. This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How of Business podcast. And I invite you to schedule a free business coaching consultation with me. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business goals and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner, I understand the challenges you are experiencing, and often it's about helping you ask the right questions to help you make progress towards achieving your goals. I can help you get there. To find out more about my business coaching services and to schedule your free coaching session, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. 
And related to pricing, I read uh, this quote either from an interview you did or somewhere online, but it says, quote, people often make the mistake of thinking, if I make it cheap, enough people will buy, end quote. And that relates to this other topic that is so hard for us, especially starting out as solopreneur, is to getting what we're worth and, and getting paid the value that we're delivering to our clients. The, the perfect example, of course, as I read in your bio, going from charging $300 to $30,000. Why have you found, you consult now with a lot of freelancers, why are we so quick to underprice ourselves and to not charge what we should be charging? That's a good question. Why are we so quick to do that? I think, I think there's a, there's a, there's a couple reasons. One thing that I'm, I've just recently started to understand this is that people in whatever industry they're in always think that their industries are super competitive and commoditized. So if I talk to web designers, agency owners, all day long they'll tell me how web design industry is saturated and there's a million people and everybody can build a website and all this stuff. Then I'll go meet with a, you know, with a, you know, someone who owns a business or runs an organization, um, and they'll tell me, I had such a hard time finding a web designer. I called three people and nobody called me back. And um, you're the first person that actually offered to do this site for me. And and it's fun and, the, and see the and I've seen the same thing in other industries. So. Um, I recently got engaged and my fiance and I were looking at wedding photographers. And if you talk to a wedding, a photographer, they'll probably tell you that the wedding photography industry is so saturated and it's, there's so many of them and it's so horrible and all this stuff. And I'm on the other side trying to hire a wedding photographer and we had a really hard time. Like I called a couple people and they never got back to me and like, it, you know, it it was this difficult process, and when we finally ha- found a wedding photographer that did a consultation with us and like would actually provide us services, it was like, wow, we finally found somebody. But most people, when they're in the industry, don't see the experience of the people outside the industry. Mm. That that's just, this is a great takeaway, Joe. I think that's uh, it makes me think as I'm thinking through it because when you were talking about there's so many web designers out there, I'm nodding my head. And then when you talk about as small business owners, we can't find somebody to do the work, I'm nodding my head. So there's a disconnect there. And like you said, you can apply it everywhere. I think then in part what you're saying is we we use the price as a crutch or as an excuse when really what we need to do is find out how do we differentiate for that audience that's going to see value in what I have to offer and do the work to get their attention and get paid what I deserve to get paid. But the easy route is to say, well, it's a commodity, so I just need to price it right. Yeah, exactly. There's, this is such an, a good and interesting discussion because, yeah, they you, you think, yeah, the only thing you can think of is price. The other thing is when you're in the industry, you don't, you don't see always what other people um, who, who are the clients or the customers – what they don't know or what they value, because when you're in the industry, you you value it differently. So, um, I'll give you an example. I've met with lots of uh, lots of people for websites where um, the the end result is a relatively simple website. It's not anything crazy or you know lots of crazy functionality or anything. But what they really want is they want 
they'd have no idea where to start with a website for their organization. You know, they couldn't pull up Wix or Squarespace and build it themselves because they have just no idea. So the value that I'm providing is the fact that I'm meeting with them in person, walking them through that process, educating them on what they need to know and understand, and then I charge a price that seems like it's a high price for the relatively simple website, which is the end outcome. But the, the, the value was just the education and the sitting down with them and the, the, the guidance and stuff that I provided. And when you're a web designer that builds websites you know, in their sleep, you don't understand that so many people out there need that and value that. You are not competing against Wix and Squarespace. The, the people who are looking for that, uh, you're not going to go and beat them on price. You're looking for a different client that needs more than that. But this, this focus and ability that you have to put yourself in the shoes of the client and to not lose sight of that, I have to think comes in part from the lessons you learned from from the initial business, I'm looking back to my notes to the Quicket business because you made some comments there about building something for you as opposed to for what a client wanted. But how do you today stay with that focus? How how do you continue to stay sharp as to what people are looking for? How do you not lose that? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, and and, and that's a that's a skill that I've worked very hard to acquire through lots of reading about marketing and copywriting and you know all of these different things i've read so many books and went through so many courses and and things on marketing and copywriting that it's insane and um that's if if i had to sort of sum up uh copywriting and sort of um yeah copywriting in in one statement it would probably be um right from the perspective of the the client or customer instead of your perspective um, but it, it's something that you have to consciously do. And sometimes I will, I've had, I've had this experience even recently where I'm writing up a, an email marketing piece or some ad or something. And I write it up and I realize, wait, I'm using all this language that I understand and they're not going to understand. And I have to stop myself and say, okay, I almost have to take a second and put myself into the mindset of, okay, I'm that client, I'm that customer. What am I thinking? What do I want? And I end up rewriting things because I had to, once I paused and did that. But how do you test that, Joe? Do you, do you, you're probably really good at listening to that feedback from clients, observing what they react to, but are there any other things you do to put it in front of or, or better measure the reaction that something you write is getting from a prospective client? Mm, that's, yeah, I mean, anytime, anytime, there, anytime, anytime marketing is being done, whether that's paid advertising or, you know, sending, you know, in some sort of direct email or direct mail kind of marketing, it's always being done as sort of an experiment where I write this marketing piece or I write this ad and I, I have a very discreet experiment that's run where I say, okay, I'm going to send this email out to 100 people and see what the response is. Or I'm going to let this ad run on Google or on Facebook for X number of clicks and see what the response is. And then I'm going to iterate from there. So once you get to the marketing phase, it needs to be a series of experiments where you run an experiment, you make adjustments, and you keep iterating until you find what works. 
yeah, that makes sense. That, that's how you're doing it. So you're you're testing it as opposed to saying or being arrogant and thinking, I'm going to put together this massive ad campaign. It's all done. Let's go execute on it. Instead, you're iterating and figuring out what's working, what's testing, adding to it until you get to a point where you've got something that really gets the response you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. That that's the, no matter how good you are at marketing or copywriting, you're still wrong a large percentage of the time. And it's so interesting how, you know, I'll have landing pages or something like that that I've run for a long time and I think I don't really like that. That was something I put together real quickly, but then I'll try something that I think's amazing and I'll test it and it doesn't work as well. So, yeah, it's always a matter of testing when it gets down to the to the marketing side of things. And I think this is also why so many small business owners need help is we don't often have the time. That's not our core competency. That's not where we should always be focusing is in developing that. And we need to get help on this. We tend to then take the approach of throwing something up. It stays up there. It gets stale and we just leave it alone because we don't have the time to come back to it. All right, let's start to wrap up on this topic of scaling. I want to ask you, we've talked about a lot of the mistakes that you learn from, things that we see others make. Anything else that comes to mind that you've observed that are things that we can avoid as we're going through this process of scaling, transitioning from solo entrepreneur to a larger organization? What are some other things that come to mind that you would recommend to people to try to avoid, some other pitfalls to avoid? Yeah, I mean, one thing... one thing I see so often is people will tell me it's so hard to find good contractors or it's ho- ho- so hard to find good people and they always need so much direction and it's always so difficult. And so often the problem is the business owner, the entrepreneur, instead of the contractors. And so often we, when we're the when we're the, the solopreneur, everything is in our head. Um and so often we don't realize how we we hired this person, we got this contractor, and we're expecting them to know things that are in our head. Um, and so if you're going to bring in a contractor, you need to have a very clear picture of what what part of the project are they doing? What is their actual role? And not expect them to do one thing one day, something totally different the next day. And I think most problems where people say it's hard to find good contractors come down to somebody's somebody's not providing enough direction to them or expecting them to um, know things that, that they shouldn't really know. I agree completely. How do you execute on that, though? What's your What works for you? Do you document a lot of this? Do you outline it? How do you get that out of your head? and put it in a format that's easily absorbed by the contractor? I think it's less... I tried the documentation route, and I think different different routes work better for different people. I, I tried the documentation route and getting it all out of my head, and that didn't work really well, very well. Um, what worked for me was simplifying things. You know, all of our... You know, simplifying the kind of projects we take on so that they're... Um, so that there's sort of sort of a couple types of pro- projects and very specific processes for them, um, and then really handing off the um, the role or the 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 task or the phase of the project to the person, and almost not caring how they get it done, but making it very clear what the end result is. 
Okay, so you're very clear on the end result. If I'm getting it right, you also look at a process, a task, a group of tasks, a subtask. If there's complexity there, and you and one of the ways you know if there's complexity, if it's hard to communicate or for somebody else to get it, you solve that complexity first or try to and, and before you try to pass it on to someone. Am, am I getting it right? Hmm. I... You definitely want to solve. You, you definitely want to simplify as much as possible. Complexity is definitely complexity is the what was the what was the quote? Complexity is the enemy of growth. I think is I saw that quote one time. Um, so yeah, you cut away the complexity and um, hand off the whole thing and let people let people use their own intelligence. Mm-hmm. Right, um, because that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, Joe. That. What you get when you start to delegate to others is you get their best. But if you put too many restrictions on how they go about achieving that, then you're not going to get that, right? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I'm I'm very focused on I let I let I let everybody know very clearly what the end deliverable is. And as long as they get there, I'm happy. Um, you know, and that's and it's even and that's part of this idea of you want to. You don't want to hand off little. Do this little task. Do that little task. You want to hand off an entire role to somebody. Like, you know, bring it. We bring in a project manager and we say this project. You know, you're the project manager for it. You're responsible for driving this project forward. And sort of, you know, we'll, I'll help you. I'll answer questions. But you're you own that rather than email this client, call this person, send this to this contractor. And the right type of person, a talented person, responds better to that, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think they – because, again, it, like you said, it, and, and we talked about earlier, it comes back down to the, hopefully the people you're hiring are better at that thing than you are. Yeah. Okay, great. Some tremendous takeaways here on this topic. We'll shift a little bit as we start to wrap it up. What, what advice would you have for – a young person, you're a relatively young person yourself, uh, that's interested in becoming an entrepreneur. What what advice do you give people who ask you about that? Yeah, the 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 main sort of my go to piece of advice is that you want to get into business. Um, don't wait for that once in a lifetime crazy idea, next Facebook kind of thing, um, because you know so much of business and entrepreneurship is the is the execution and is about learning about how to do entrepreneurship. So just pick a business and get into it, whether that's doing freelance work or some idea that you had. Just just get started because almost definitely things are going to mutate, you're going to learn things, you're going to do things, you you're, you're just going to turn into something else. Um but you you just got to get started. Yeah, great advice. Joe, what do you love most about what you do today? I think the 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 challenge and the variety that um every you know every few months or every day there's some different challenge or new thing of that I'm learning and it, it's always different. Um I think that that I really enjoy. But then also when I'm when I'm working with other freelancers and uh, agency owners to help them grow their businesses that's really, really cool. I, I find it even I find it more rewarding when they go out and get a client of their own than when I would go out and get a client. So 
that's really cool to sort of pass off my knowledge to somebody, see them actually implement it, and then they get a client. I got to think that that appeals to you. If I got the research right at some point, you wanted to be a teacher or a professor. So it seems like you've got that in you to help and teach others. Yeah, that's that was that's right. That was always something that was of interest to me. And I remember even emailing some of my professors in college, uh, after college, um, to see whether I could be a professor or could teach some college classes or something like that. And I, I didn't have enough degrees to do it. So uh, being entrepreneurial minded, I found another way to do it. That's right. You're doing it now. I'm having great impact. All right. Uh, so give us the brief elevator pitch on Kasherba Web Design. What are the services you offer your clients today? Yeah, the, the main things that we offer are web design, web development, and then essentially lead generation, um, helping businesses that really want really want to generate phone calls, generate leads through their website. Um, we have a variety of, of marketing services that we, on an ongoing basis, we can help them do that. So it's the, it's the building of the website, and then afterwards, how do we get this website to actually bring leads, bring phone calls in, that kind of thing. Great stuff. Joe, is there a book you would recommend? Yeah, uh, you know, a book that I'm I'm uh, just started reading that I'm getting a ton of value from right now is um, called the Four Disciplines of Execution, um, and it's 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 really reminding me and reminding me of and reinforcing uh, the idea that. Um, there's a difference between strategy and execution. And you can strategize and theorize and that kind of thing all the time, but at some point you have to actually get to execution and um, put one foot in front of the other and, and, and start doing and taking action. And it has, a, has some really clear, simple uh, sort of disciplines for how to do that effectively and uh, and actually make stuff happen rather than just be strategizing all the time. Yeah, great suggestion. It ties back to, I think, the the point you made when I asked you about advice for a young entrepreneur, which is, you know, to butcher a, a similar saying, which is that your execution will eat my strategy for lunch, right? And you've come to know and realize from an early age that you can plan all you want and strategize, but it's about getting out there and actually doing something. Not only is that how you learn but that, that's just what it takes. You just got to take some action. Absolutely. All right, let's wrap it up here. Joe, last parting thought, piece of advice, something I didn't ask you for or about, I should say, especially on the topic of scaling a small business. Uh, last thought on that topic. Um, I, think the, I think my last thought would be that you want, to really take some time to think about um, sort of what would be the ideal business that would be scalable. Sometimes people don't think about what, um, say their business was 10 times bigger than it was now. Um, what all would have to be cut and simplified for that to even be manageable? And um, so much of scaling is is about cutting away and simplifying. And usually people don't think about it like that. So if your business was 10 times as big, you know, what would it look like and what would have to be cut for that to be manageable and doable? Hmm, okay, very good. And where would you like us to go online to learn more about you and your business? Yeah, if on the on the web design agency side, you can go to kasherbawebdesign.com 
And if anybody's a freelancer or runs their own agency and wants help on that side, you can go to joekasherba.com. Excellent. Joe, this has been a great conversation. I've taken a lot away from it. Thanks for taking the time to be with us and to share your knowledge with us today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Folks, we have enjoyed Joe Kasherba on the show today. This is Henry Lopez. Thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.